0: Now, I didn't, I didn't quite big Greg up enough, because um, I think Greg's a very special gift to the church, both as a as a speaker, but also as a practitioner, and um, stuff happens. So, um, but he does go on a bit. So, uh, <laughs> he? no, he's promised he's promised to keep to time. But um, I'd, I'd love to pray for Greg, if that's all right. Father God, I want to thank you for Greg, and I thank you that he's somebody who knows you and loves you, and wants to give away everything he's got, to give, give away all that he's learned, but particularly to give away that infectious love for you. And I pray for your anointing on Greg tonight, as he teaches and shares and ministers. Amen. Amen, Dave. Is that the clock there? Will that move? Yeah, great. Fantastic. I'll keep an eye on it. It's so good to be here. Um, I still see Woody's in some ways as my like a home church in some ways, even though it's years, it was 1999 to 2001 that I was uh, the chaplain at the aforementioned prison, and it was such a happy time and a fruitful time being here in Bristol, which is an amazing city, isn't it? Incredible city, and uh, it's just wonderful being back for the weekend uh, here. It's been really great, and catching up with uh, Rob. Rob's here tonight, Rob Scott Cook, what a legend he is, Yeah. Yeah. He's he's been a real spiritual father to me, and and was I used to meet with him as a mentor once a month, I think, when I was here, and uh, and Dave, he was my prayer partner. He was like a, a, a kind of like a peer mentor, but more of an older brother, really, but quite a lot older, I think, not not just a bit, quite a lot, quite a lot, a lot older, and um, and I always I always said that you were kind of whilst independent, Woody's is kind of like a closet Anglican church. Uh, I'm a C of E minister by ordination, and just proven there, Dave, by you were doing a bit of liturgy there, the Lord be with you, and some of you said, I'm with my spirit, didn't you? And uh, so you, you got with, we call those versicles and responses in, uh, in in liturgy, so it's great to have a little bit of liturgy, I'll give you a little bit more, asbestos, domestos, frebentos, do you like that one? <laughs> um, spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch, did I really do that? Probably not. And um, so I'm an Anglican minister, don't hold that against me, I, you, you might be prejudiced against C of e vicars, I don't know. To be fair, there is something very strange about a man who calls himself uh, father and dresses like mother. But uh, anyway, tonight, tonight I'm just in CV, so that's that's cool. And anyway, what we're thinking tonight, Dave, as well as sticking to time, uh, he wanted me to stick with the program. We're doing a series on forgiveness, is that right? So uh, I thought I'd contribute to, to that. And what we're thinking about tonight is, um, the title is uh, The Freedom of Forgiveness. There it is behind me. And the subtitle, as you can see, is Forgiveness a key to personal wholeness, and the reason I've I've picked this, um, we're going to look at a, a Bible passage, but this this theme, the freedom of forgiveness, that's the theme that you're working through at the moment, um, but there's also this subtitle, forgiveness, a, a key um, to personal wholeness, is that any psychologist will t- tell you, and this is secular psychologists, not necessarily Christian ones, that two of the barriers to personal wholeness, or two of the barriers. To good mental health, um, concern forgiveness, and two barriers to personal wholeness—that is, a, a good state of mental health. Uh, one is uh, the failure to forgive, and the second one is the failure to receive forgiveness. Interesting, isn't it? So, so this is this is people who are secular secular psychology. They would say that that one of the root causes a lot of a lot of mental health issues, and we live in an age when we are mu- much more attuned to. Uh, mental health issues in our midst as a society. And indeed, um, there's there's like a pandemic of mental health issues within, particularly within Western contexts. Anyway, it's interesting, the Christian church, the Christian faith, the Bible has a lot to say, doesn't it, about forgiveness, hence this series that you're doing. And two of the barriers to personal wholeness, to good mental health, to put it another way, uh, can be the failure to forgive, to forgive others when they've wronged us, and the failure to receive forgiveness. So that was the reason uh, I chose this. So freedom. Uh, This is uh, me as a 17-year-old when I received the freedom of the city of my hometown, Lancaster. So I'm a a freeman of the city of Lancaster. Don't get any money for that. And basically, as a kid, I did charitable work and things like that. And I think they were looking at making some young people freemen of the city, you know, a bit like the New Year's honors now. We we look to be much my, more diverse and things like that. And so I was made a, a freeman of the city of Lancaster. A little looker looked a little bit geeky there. I've improved with age, obviously, which is good. And uh, this entitles me to, uh, to take my cattle over the bridge. There's a bridge across the River Loon in the center of Lancaster, so I can, I can do that and apparently c- I can draw my sword in public. I don't have a sword, but if I had one, yeah, it's amazing being a freeman of the city of Lancaster. But as human beings, we long to be free Men and women, not of the city of Lancaster or Bristol or wherever it might be, but we long to be free people. There's something within us as human beings. We were born for freedom and yet many of us um, experience, you know, living in this fallen world as we do, that uh, we don't experience uh, freedom in different ways. Uh, so let me just say a little bit about uh, about me. This is, I, I've already said I'm an Anglican vicar, so there's a rather photo behind there. That's me in my kind of uh, co- costume. I didn't wear it tonight on the right, looking a little bit churchy. That's me actually as a choir boy. I grew up in this church, Lancaster Priory, in the northwest. And uh, can you guess which is me? That was me as a chorister. Dave, can you guess which one's me there? Uh, I think a few have got mouths wide open, but actually I'm. Because we're all going, la, la. It was for the Lancaster Guardian, this photograph. I'm the second from the right, the handsome one. That's me as a, as a chorister. And uh, this is my wife My wife and, ki- and, and kids on holiday just a few weeks ago. And that's my wife, uh, Tammy. And I've got two daughters, Anastasia, uh, who's 12 going on 15. She's just turned 12. And there's Trinity, uh, who's here on the right-hand side of the picture. Anyway, Anastasia, she's 12 going on 15, and she's... I'm at the stage, uh, or she's at the stage, where I'm a complete um, embarrassment uh, to, I don't know, anyone else has got a kind of 12-year-old kid, and you're a complete embarrassment. My my dancing, of course, is dad dancing my jokes, which are numerous, are, of course, um, dad jokes, and uh, she's completely embarrassed. embarrassed. Anyway, just uh, last week, a week today, we had some friends staying. And we went out for a walk into the Cotswolds. So it's me, Tammy, the t- our two girls, and there was this, this other family. Off we went walking in the Cotswolds. And then there was um, a fence which had barbed wire on it. Now, you'd think that might be an indicator, wouldn't you, to not go over this fence that had barbed wire on the top. But I proceeded to get, get on this, this fence with barbed wire. And as I was getting over, uh, I slipped and uh, gashed. Yeah, I know, painful, madam. Yeah, I, I, I gashed my hand in, in a piece of the barbed wire. It went in. Oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. Can you see that's it on the right? There it is, on the right. I didn't know where the photo There it is. And um, it was a bit like a, a bit of a horror show. And uh, anyway, Anastasia, my daughter, said, Daddy, are you going to die? And I said, No, I live. Don't worry. And of course, as here I am a week later. And um, so, so I gashed my hand. And uh, that was that. Anyway, this broke up the party. Now, my wife, Tammy, she is a bit of a, a carrier on her. So she didn't want to go home. That clock, by the way, Dave, it's still saying it's not moved at all. So <laughs> I don't know said, <laughs> so I have no idea what the time is I'll check on my watch um, my wife she's a bit of a coper so she said no no, we're going to carry on walking with, with these friends that we had visiting us um, you go home if you want so I decided with Anastasia because she's my little girl is 12 she said daddy I'll go with you and so we went on the road and we decided to hitch a lift and uh, I've not hitched a lift for ages so we hitched, we hitched a lift First car didn't pick up, nor did the second, and the third one did. Anyway, the guy pulled over. Now my hand was in a real state; you could see it, it was like a bit of a horror, f- horror film. So, of course, as he pulled over, I said, "Oh, I've just... Um, uh, my wife and kids they've gone on, but I've just fallen on some barbed wire." And, and anyway, he said, oh, "I'll take you. I'll take you to. I'll t- take you to your house." So, I sat in the back with my 12-year-old daughter Anastasia, and um, said, thank you very much for taking me back into Whitney, where we lived. Then there was a little bit of a pause, and I said, "You know, it's um, not had a." Not hitch not hitched to lift for years since i was younger people are a bit afraid to do it now and the driver said yeah people are afraid you know you never know who, who you're going to get kind of thing and uh, and i said uh yeah i said uh, you know i've taken a risk you know because for all i know you know you me and my little daughter here you know for all i know you, you could have been a homicidal maniac and uh and then i said but you know i did the maths and i said I, I thought of the chance of two homicidal maniacs being in the same car at the same time is somewhat remote that's why i said uh, there was a pause in the car, as a graduate. And then I said, it's a joke, it's a joke. And then I, then I, try, I said, I'm a vicar, I'm a vicar. Which probably didn't help. And uh, my, my, da- I mean, my daughter, <laughs> on the left, my daughter was going, Daddy, Daddy, I wish you wouldn't do this. But uh, I'd heard that joke, that homicidal maniac joke. So, uh, some stand-up comedian used it, and I thought, I can use it in situ, I can actually use that joke in situ. So there we go. So that's what I did. So uh, I'll need forgiveness from that guy, whoever he is, because I slightly uh, traumatized him. So we're thinking, anyway, um, about a Bible passage. Here it is, it's from Romans uh, chapter... One of my favorite passages of scripture. And um, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and then verses 10 to 11, and then verses 14 to 17. And essentially, there are just three things to do with forgiveness that I want to refer to from this passage. Um, The three different paragraphs, one in blue, as you can see, one in green uh, there, and uh, one in red. Um, But to start off, this passage, it starts off like this. It says, therefore, it says, there is now no condemnation those who are in Christ Jesus that's how it starts off and to understand what the Apostle Paul means by in, in writing um, these words uh, to these Christians in Rome as he did uh, to understand that we have got to realize that the background to what the Apostle Paul was saying uh, concerns itself with what, what we might call the law of cause and effect. So what, is, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that for the people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ, the people who've dared to become followers of Jesus, God has chosen to bypass a law that he has set in motion in the cosmos. And basically that law is sometimes referred to as the law of cause and effect. And we've got to understand this, this thing about the law of cause and effect. It's elsewhere in the Bible. It says, make no mistake, what a person sows, so shall he reap. So there's a law of cause and effect. Other religions, this is so observable, this law in the cosmos that other religions pick it up too. So in some Eastern religions, it's called karma. Uh, you know, in other words, what goes round comes round. Every action has a consequence. Every inaction has a consequence. This is this is the the, the law. We need to understand this law before we can get what the passage is all about. I first understood this law when I was 14 years of age. Often when we understand things, it's not just cerebrally here, is it? It's experientially at the level of the heart. And I was about 14 when I understood this law. And it was to do with a teacher uh, that we had, our history teacher, Mr. Strange. Yes, that genuinely was his name, Strange by name, Strange by nature. And uh, me and the other guys in my class, we went to history, which was the last period on a Tuesday And we rocked up in the history lesson. Mr. Strange was about to take it. And Mr. Strange was a bit fond of um, Johnny Walker's. He liked his whiskey. And he used to have a stock cupboard at the front of the class. And there was a, there's a bottle of whiskey he had in a stock cupboard. You could be fired for that these days, wouldn't you? But in those days, you could do this. And so it, what would happen is during little intermissions in the history lesson, he'd go into his stock cupboard, and we all knew he was having a, a wee dram of whiskey. This is, w- this is what he did. Anyway, this particular Tuesday afternoon last period, we'd all been to domestic science the period before. Domestic science was the name they gave for cookery. And what we did is we all, this particular week, we made puff pastry. And this lesson was in two stages. This particular day, we made the puff pastry. We all had to bring a Tupperware container uh, in from home, put the puff pastry into the Tupperware container, take it home, get our mums to put it in the freezer, then defrost it the week after, and then bring it back. And the period the week after, we were going to make something with puff pastry. Sounds quite straightforward, doesn't it? Well, I still don't know what puff pastry makes. You can tell me afterwards. Because my actions... um, which obviously have consequences, my actions completely jeopardized the entire puff pastry thing. And and the reason what happened was was this, is Mr. Strange had gone into his stock cupboard to have a little drum of whiskey. I got bored, as I do occasionally, got out my puff pastry, I was about two thirds back, held it like this, and there were some polystyrene tiles, um, cheap polystyrene tiles that made up the roof. And I threw it uh, up uh, up in the air, and it stuck uh, to one of these polystyrene tiles above my head. I didn't quite expect it to do that. I don't know what I was expecting. I probably wasn't thinking that's probably part of my problem. My wife would say that. Anyway, and th- so what happened is the other guy said, oh, look what Downsy's done. They all call me Downsy. They all got open their Tupperware containers. They all got out their puff pastry. And they deliberately threw, deliberately threw their puff pastry with the intention of it sticking on the roof. And it did. So there were all these puff pastries stuck on the roof. Mr. Strange came out of his, his study, as uh, slightly inebriated as he was, and he said, right, laddies. He used to call his laddies. Right, laddies. And he began to hold forth about Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who built a bridge. Uh, because he was into all that kind of stuff, and uh, he basically went in front of the blackboard, went in front of the table, and he, was, as he, as he used to do, and he stood in front of the table, holding forth about social and economic history. And he stood um, beneath one of, not mine, but one of the puff pastries that was above his head. And for me, it was one of those slow motion uh, moments that I'll never forget. I was uh, two thirds of the row back and I saw slowly this puff pastry begin to peel, just ever so slightly begin to peel. And I could see what was going to happen. It was like, oh no. You know, one of those slow moment moments. And sure enough, the puff pastry sort of uh, slapped down on his his head. Well, he didn't know what had hit him. Well, you wouldn't, would you? Uh, Put your hand up if you're a teacher here. You wouldn't know what I'd hit you, would you? If so, you, know, you wouldn't expect an alien piece of puff pastry to hit you last period on a Tuesday afternoon. You wouldn't, would you? I'm just guessing you wouldn't. You know, it's not anyway, so he, he, he hit the puff pastry. Now, he was genuinely stunned. He genuinely didn't know what had hit him. And he just paused. He just paused. He just didn't know what it was. And obviously, he, he, he got his hand like this. and thought, what is, what is this stuff? Then at that point, the other puff pastries began to peel off. And so he like, sort of around the thing, like this, sort of, the puff pastries fell down. And he cu- he cried out, "Who is responsible for this?" And I remember with a cry of um, abandonment and a cry of um, a, a cry of of, um, of desertion. And uh, they, basically, my my friends, my colleagues, they or whatever, my, my mates, they all said, "Downsy did it. Downsy did it." And I'll never forget. Mr. Strange said, "Right, laddie, come here." And he went into his stock cupboard again, not to get his whiskey, but to get a plank, and his preferred method of uh, corporal punishment, which was legal then, was the plank, and I had to bend over his desk, and I remember he hit me with this plank so hard, the table actually moved, and it only stopped when it came to the window over here. That would be illegal now. Uh, I would... I would, uh, I would uh, uh, prosecute retrospectively, Mr. Strange, for that, that abusive behaviour, but uh, you can't do so posthumously because he's he's not with us. So, uh, so I won't do that. So all is forgiven. You are forgiven, Mr. Strange. You are forgiven, wherever you are, whoever you are, Mr. Strange. So I learned. I learned this, this this law of cause and effect. Basically, what Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul is saying, by saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, what he's saying is that. Everything has a consequence. And you and I, the the Bible says, this is the Bible in miniature, you and I, uh, we've done wrong things, we've said wrong things, we've thought wrong things. The Bible calls that sin. That word isn't particularly that important as such. But the concept is important. We've messed up. God is holy. We are not holy. God is perfect. We are not perfect. And most of us, most people I've ever met in the world, regardless of faith or no faith, they admit that. I've met one or two who say they're perfect. Very unusual. But most, the vast majority of human beings would say, yeah, yeah, I'm not perfect. I have messed up. Well, there's a problem, you see, because God is holy and we are not holy. God is perfect and we are not holy. And so actually we can't live in connection with the divine because of our unholiness. That's basically uh, what the Bible teaches. So the consequences of our sin, i.e. doing wrong things, saying wrong things, and thinking wrong things, is that we do not live as human beings in the consciousness of the presence of the God who created us and has given each one of us life. So that's the consequence. But what this verse says is that God has bypassed, so to speak, this natural law of cause and effect. And he's done it by sending Jesus Christ. He's done it by sending his son Jesus Christ into the world 2000 years ago, uh, where Jesus arrived on the scene 3000 miles away in Israel, Palestine. And the Bible tells us that Jesus uh, was executed um, at the behest of uh, certain sections of contemporary Judaism, but by the secular Roman pagan authorities. But that wasn't an accident. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for you and for me so that we might be forgiven. That's the heart of the gospel, that we might be forgiven, that we might receive the forgiveness of the God who created us. And receiving his forgiveness, um, we might uh, know him and have a relationship with him. So the verse is anyway, it says, therefore, um, freedom, for, that's the first point, freedom by being forgiven. If we can flick on the next one, there it is, freedom uh, next slide: Freedom from uh, by being forgiven. Uh, the next one after that—that's the school one. Uh, there we go. Freedom by being forgiven. Therefore, there is n- now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so you and I, because if we—if we've given our life to Jesus Christ, if we've surrendered our life to uh, Jesus Christ, then we are—we are completely f- forgiven. God does not judge us, there's, n- there's, n- there's no judgment in Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ. The New Testament, of course, is written in Greek, and that word that's used for condemnation is uh, katakrima, it's from two words, kata, which means down, and krima, which means judgment. So literally, that word katakrima, it literally means the sentence of condemnation that is handed down after a due and just process at establishing guilt. In other words, it's a penalty. So wh- what, it, what in effect the Bible is saying is that this separation from the divine, you and I deserve it. We deserve it. That's, that would be a just and appropriate punishment um, for, for, for actually for, for sinning, for doing wrong things, saying wrong things, thinking wrong things. But that, that catacrima, that um, just punishment That condemnation is taken care of by the work of another, namely Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We can have a freedom by being forgiven. We are free to know the God who is there. We are free to know the God uh, who has um, come to our rescue in his son, Jesus Christ. And to know his freedom, uh, to know his forgiveness is perfect freedom. It's perfect freedom. And we're called not just to receive the forgiveness from the God who created us and has has given us life. We're called to be those who forgive others because all of us get sinned against, if I could use that phrase. All all of us have wrong things done to us. And when we choose or fail to forgive those who have wronged us, it it is we who suffer and psychologists say that as well. Um, And I say to people sometimes when they say, oh, such and such a person did this to me and I can't forgive him. I sometimes say to them, Forgive for your own sake. Forget them for a minute. Forgive for your own sake, because often it binds us up uh, when we fail to forgive. And, and failure to forgive can have long and lasting consequences. Perhaps if we could just uh, flick up um, uh, the, the slide, which is uh, not that one. Let's skip on to the next one of Biggin Hill. There it is. This, this uh, is a portrait which is in Biggin Hill Airport And I was thinking about this just a few weeks ago because I did a weekend away for a church in Biggin Hill. Now, Biggin Hill, as you may know, has a famous airport which was used by the British military for the Battle of Britain. So when the Nazis were doing their aerial bombing campaign over this nation uh, called the Blitz, the Blitz Creek, um, what what happened is that the the RAF came to the the rescue, the defense of of these islands, and and the the planes all took off from Biggin Hill Airport. This actually is a, a Luftwaffe plane over London. You might recognise the River Thames there. It's a, it's a, 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 a German German plane. Now, most of the bombing, of course, took place in London. The vast majority was in London, but the second city that that was bombed, apart from London, was Liverpool. You may know that. And I think it was a, about a thousand people died in the in the in the Liverpudlian Blitz, the Liverpool um, Blitz. And amongst those thousand people who died in the Liverpool Blitz were members of my family. My, I'm from. Um, I, I grew up in Lancaster, but my parents were working class Liverpudlians. Their parents were Liverpudlians. Their parents were Liverpudlians. I remember my granddad, he, as, a, as a kid, he used, to, he used to say, Hey, Gregory, come over here, Gregory. My name's Gregory, and, um, but he used to call me Gregory. I remember. Anyway, so, uh, so, so, so basically, uh, my, some of my family, the story this was passed on, of course, that basically, uh, during the Blitz, there was some of my family that died in the Liverpudlian Blitz. Uh, there were uh, uh, several of them out of the th- about 1,000 people who died. Now, it's a weird thing, right? And let me share this with you. As a Christian, I've had to work through uh, issues of forgiveness, and, and, and that, that is receiving forgiveness from other people, supremely from God, obviously. That's how you become a Christian. But also forgiving other people who have, who have wronged me. And, uh, and that process uh, has led me to forgiving some unknown German airmen who actually uh, were doing their job. Uh, but they dropped bombs, nonetheless, over the city of Liverpool that killed members of my family. Isn't that weird? Uh, let me explain why. So I grew up in a, a broken home. My parents split up when I was three years of age. Um, and uh, I, I grew up with kind of significant father issues, I guess, to do with not knowing, not knowing my dad. And, but my mum, she was a fairly broken lady herself. So even though my mum, she, she, uh, she, she cared for me and my two siblings, middle one of three boys, my mum, she wasn't very good at showing love. In fact, she was really not very good at all psychologists say the two principal ways that love is communicated, particularly for children growing up, is through touch and talk. Actually by saying I, lo- I love you, or words to that effect, and actually giving somebody a hug. My mom was not tactile in any way and she didn't ever say as a kid. She says it now, she's, 80, she's 88, she's learned to say it now. But as a kid, I never remember, I, I don't remember her ever saying I love you to me or to my two siblings. And so I grew up with, with um, issues to do, not just with the absence of my father, but my mom's inability to communicate love. Now, a little bit of scratching below the surface. Why, w- why did my mum find it difficult to, to show love? Well, surprise, surprise. She wasn't loved very well by her own parents, by her own dad, and by her own mum. Her mum was uh, in p- her mum was a, a pretty broken lady. My nana, my, my, my nana, and uh, so she didn't she, she didn't receive love in a, in a very concrete or tangible way from her own parents. Scratched a little deeper, and why was it my, my nana, my mum's mum? Why did she find it? difficult to show love well she was orphaned as a young woman and she was orphaned in the blitz when her her mother that's my great grandmother uh died in one of these blitz blitz things that when the nazis bombed uh liverpool and not only did she die in the in the blitz um her one of one of her her daughters my grandmother's sister died as well and her fiance tom who was in the house at the same time as well so three of them three of them uh died um, that particular day. And what happened is that apparently the story that was passed on that is true is, uh, is my mum, um, uh, my, 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 my nana, my grandmother had married, she'd married quite young, and so she had a husband, Charlie, who was a barber who lived across Liverpool, and she was visiting um, her mother's house, her parents' house, the is, The Roberts was a maiden name. This was on the 5th of May, 1941. And the reason she was visiting while my granddad Charlie was at work in his barber shop is there was a party. The reason w- there was a party is that Bessie, her sister, her younger sister, had just got engaged. And Tom was there. There was an engagement party in the house. And the party, apparently they, the story is they were dancing on the tables and enjoying it and all this kind of stuff. And then my grandmother said, oh, I better get back to Charlie to make his tea. And they said, oh no, please stay, stay, you don't have to. You know, Charlie went, my no, I'll get back to Charlie and make his tea. And so she decided to go. And so off she went with my, with, with her younger daughter, her elder daughter, Barbara, in the Pram. That's my mum, my mum in the Pram. So off my nana went, pushing the Pram uh, from this this area of Liverpool to the other area of Liverpool. That she'd been gone about half an hour, the, the air-raid sirens went. And uh, everybody, of course, th- they had a, an air raid shelter. And apparently, um, a lot of people didn't use air raid shelters. And, and, and my um, grandma's um, dad, so my great grandfather, he was the only one who got in the air raid shelter under the stairs. The others said, "Oh no, it will be fine." You know, yeah, "Daddy, dar, what's the chances?" And so, th- so only one person. This is my gran- grandma's uh, dad got under the stairs in the air raid shelter uh, on the fifth of May, nineteen forty-one. Netherfield Road, off St George's Hill, Everton s- scored a direct hit, and uh, everybody who wasn't in the air raid shelter was was killed. So my mum literally escaped. I wouldn't be here if my mum had decided to stay and dance on the tables. I wouldn't be standing here talking to you now because she'd have been killed as a small child. What happened is my grandmother was orphaned on that day, and uh, she she was she wa- she lost her mum and she lost her sister and she lost her future brother-in-law, but she blamed her dad for going in the the, the air raid shelter and she cut him off. And it wasn't his fault, but she actually – we're not rational as human beings, are we? She blamed her dad, and she didn't speak to her dad. And so on that day, she not only lost her mother and her sister and her future brother-in-law, she actually lost her father by her own choice. And so she was a pretty broken lady, and she was not very good at showing love to my mum. And uh, who knows? Perhaps my mum ended up getting divorced. I don't know. Who knows? uh, Because of issues to do with that. But my mum – obviously, my dad wasn't on the scene, and actually my mum – Uh, wasn't very good at showing love and affection. So can you see, I traced it back, and in my bid for personal wholeness, I ended up not just forgiving my mum and my dad for some of the gaps in parenting that were there, clearly, particularly my dad, I also ended up forgiving, I actually forgave Adolf Hitler as as well for that that, that matter. By the way, when you forgive someone, you don't let them off the hook, so to speak, they're still on God's hook, but it's important that you let them off your hook, um, because if if only for your own sake, and if you're a Christian, you do it out of obedience uh, to Jesus Christ, because Jesus tells us that we not only need uh, to receive the forgiveness of uh, the God who is good, the God who is kind, but we also need to forgive uh, forgive others. Okay, so freedom, that's um, uh, the, the, the first thing to say then. We, we, we receive freedom by being forgiven. We need to be forgiven, uh, forgiv- forgiving, forgiven supremely from God, but for re- receiving the forgiveness of others that we may have wronged. And we, may, we need also Um, as well as receiving the forgiveness of others. We need to work on our stuff and choose to forgive others um, that have wronged us in different ways. Okay, uh, uh, a second point. The last two are going to be quicker. The second thing in this passage is this. We can have freedom from the fear of death. Freedom from the fear of death. Now, notice in that passage um, that uh, that we're looking at now, It says, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in us. The amazing thing is when we work through this forgiveness stuff and we receive forgiveness from God and we forgive other people who've wronged us and we receive their forgiveness – we are profoundly set free. And one of the freedoms is we are set free from the fear of death. I used to be pretty scared of flying. And psychologists say that the fear of flying is generally one of two things. One, it's um, the fear of dying. And it's irrational because the chances are you're probably not going to die. It's the safest form of transport. But you think irrationally, maybe I am uh, going to die. And the second... Reason possibly that people are scared of frying is control issues. That people have sometimes got control issues, and nowhere do you feel more out of control than at 33,000 feet in a tin sausage where you can't see where you're going. So it exacerbates those control issues. Anyway, I I don't know which was mine, but anyway, I used to be uh, fearful of flying, not frying, fearful of of, um, uh, flying, Uh, but I'm not anymore. Why am I anyway? And and last year I went on a a ministry trip to Budapest in Hungary, and I sat next to, I was on, on the plane about to take off from the runway, I was sat next to this woman who she was in about her 30s. She was on the next door seat and there was a spare seat in between. I thought to myself, maybe this is an opportunity to share about Jesus with often, you know, barbers and people sat next to me on airplanes, you know, good, you know, if people want to talk, obviously not if they don't want to talk. But uh, as, as we were sat there, she, she put on a COVID mask and then she put on these big headphones uh, over and then she put on an eye mask as well. So I thought to myself, yeah, not, not, not looking too good. The plane took off, we got to cruising altitude. The stewards came around serving the coffee. The woman next to me took off her COVID mask, took off her face mask and took off, um, uh, uh, took off her uh, uh, headphones as well. As she did that, I turned to her and I went, hello. And uh, she said, hello. We got talking over coffee. I said I was going to do a talk uh, in Budapest, which was her home city. So she lives in England. Um, she's a Hungarian lady doing a PhD. She lives in, hun- in, in, in England with her Hungarian boyfriend and she was going back to visit her mum and dad. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to do a talk. What's it about? I said, God, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a priest. I said, and she said, I've always wanted to ask a priest. I've never met a priest before. Can I ask you this question? Who or what is God? That's what she said. So I thought, great. This is uh, ap- apologetics of theism 101. So I started holding forth about theism and uh, probabilities of the divine and all this kind of stuff. She was a bit academic, you know, doing a PhD, so I thought she'd like this. And she, she got um, – she, she lost interest. And the reason she lost interest wasn't, I don't think, because I was being boring. It's because we hit some pretty patchy turbulence, and the plane was banging around. All over the place, which I quite enjoy these days. Now, I used to be scared of flying, but now I used like the, like the Pepsi, Pepsi Max. Big one at Blackpool, quite enjoy Anyway, the plane was banging around. It wasn't that bad, but I heard the person on the seat behind say this. Look at, the, look, at, look at the air hostesses, and if they're scared, get scared. So, it's obviously, some people are a little bit scared. And I said to her, are you okay? And she said, no, I'm really scared of flying. I've always been scared of flying. I avoid it when I possibly can. But, uh, and, and I get nervous the night before. And she said, uh, you know, this, this is the worst turbulence I've been in, she said. So, I said, look, I used to be scared of flying. Uh, and she said used to be not anymore said no and she said why i said well i found a faith-based solution so she said what was that so i said prayer i basically got prayer and now i am not scared of flying i like i like i enjoy flying so i said look can i just pray for you and she said yes so i prayed for her and uh, she her eyes filled with tears and she said i feel this is extraordinary sense of peace she said the fear has just completely gone now this is in the turbulence still it hadn't stopped we got bang on the plane was banging around she said this is just extraordinary I feel this peace that the fear has gone and I said there's more where that came from (laughs) shared the gospel with her and I ended up leading her to Christ at 33,000 feet and Boggy was her name apparently a common name in Hungary Uh, so Boggy gave her life to Jesus Christ and she experienced more of the peace of God we can have freedom from fear I believe it's the birthright of every Christian and yet I know so many Christians who live in fear fear of COVID fear of flying, uh, fear of losing their job, all kinds of fears. And I'm not, this is normal, it's human. We live in a fallen world. But I do believe God's normative best is that in Christ, it's possible to have peace even in the midst of adversity. We can, we can, we can be set free from fear and live lives less ordinary. Okay, the, f- the final point that I'm gonna share tonight is this freedom to know who you are. Notice those th- those final few verses Say this, for those, these are some of amongst my favorite verses in the whole of scripture. It says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you uh, live in fear again. There it is, the fear goes. Uh, Rather, the spirit you receive, that's the Holy Spirit, God's presence and power, um, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him you cry out, cry out, Abba, Abba is an Aramaic word, which is the familial word for, for, for father. It doesn't even mean father, it actually means Dad would be probably the nearest translation in our culture. The spirit himself, that's the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit, that's the human spirit, that we are God's children. And if we are children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering. The Bible says we're not orphans, we're heirs. That's That's what it says. In other words, because God has adopted us into his family through Jesus Christ, we are sons and daughters of God by adoption. And like Jesus gets to inherit the whole lot... Because Jesus becomes our brother by virtue of our connection with God, who is our father, even though he's the only begotten son of the father, and we are only sons and daughters by adoption, nonetheless, as Jesus' brother, we get to inherit the lot. We get to inherit the kingdom. Now, who has read Spare by Prince Harry? Put your hands up. No one. Everywhere I go, Dave, everywhere I go, I, nobody's read it. It's the best, one of the best-selling books in the world, and no one's read it. Okay, I've read it, and I'm, I, have no, I have no apology, because do you know, Bear is the orphan spirit in narrative form, because Harry lost his mum. He didn't believe until his 20s that his mum, Princess Diana, had actually died. And his father, bless him, King Charles III, was a bit of an absent, distant father, partly because Harry was away at public school. But even when dear old Charles was there, he wasn't too good, a bit like my mum, at demonstrating love through touch and talk. So Harry got it on both sides a little bit. I like I got it on both sides. And the whole thing is about Harry's disconnection, how he doesn't know his didn't know his mum. how he doesn't really know his father. He's estranged from his father, King Charles, at the moment. Well, do you know the good news? What this verse says is this, that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you uh, are never the spare, but will always be the heir. And, and Harry thought, by spare, it's prophetic. Harry said, I didn't belong. I'm, I'm surplus to requirements. I'm not needed. I'm a Mr. Nobody. You are never the spare. You are always the heir. Um, Jim Jim Packer, famous theologian, says this, that the greatest blessing of the gospel is adoption. Not justification by faith, interestingly. Jim Packer says the greatest blessing of the gospel is adoption. You and I, if we give our lives to Jesus Christ, not only do we get forgiven by the God who created and has given us life, he gives us the power to forgive others, which is profoundly liberating. He allows us to conquer the fears that so often hold us back in life. um, But also... Uh, he does an identity job on us. Many of us are really struggling with identity. We don't know who we are. Well, in Christ, you are an heir. In Christ, you are a son. In Christ, you are a daughter by adoption. And this is profoundly good news. One final story to finish, and then we're going to land. Tabby and I, my wife and I, we went to Scarborough for the spring half term last year. Uh, who's been to Scarborough here? More people than have read Spare. That's good. Um, Scarborough is a, a seaside town in North Yorkshire. Um, me and my wife went there, Bados, as it's known to the locals. It's better than it sounds. And uh, we, we went to a, to, a, to a restaurant for lunch, me and my two daughters. Anyway, the, the waiter was a guy called Danny. Danny came out, served me coffee, and I noticed that Danny uh, had Star Wars tattoos all down his arms. It turns out Danny is a Star Wars super fan. And, uh, and I said, you like Star Wars? Yeah, yeah, I love Star Wars. He said, so there, he, there he is, that's Danny uh, there. And uh, then he went off, uh, having served my cappuccino, and towards the end of the meal, um, let's just, can we just keep that slide on if we, if we can for a, for a few moments. Uh, towards the end of the meal, Tammy took the girls to the toilet, you know, et etc before we headed out. And I bizarrely had a Star Wars magnet in my left pocket. Now I have never before or since ever had a Star Wars magnet. That's it. It's Starfader Vader saying, I am your father. And I had it in the pocket. I bought it from one of those gimmick shops. As a joke for my kids, my daughters, I was going to put it in their bedroom. It never got to their bedroom then. And I used to say, I am your father. It was a silly joke. Anyway, so I had this fridge magnet. I was sat there uh, paying the bill while Tammy takes the kids, kids to the toy. Talk to Danny again, and, and I, I, felt the, the, I, felt, I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit. I felt God said, give him the magnet. So I gave him the magnet. He said, Oh thanks very much. Apparently, I didn't realize that Annika, who was uh, Annika on his, on his thing, that became Darth Vader. I didn't know. So he was chuffed that he actually got Darth Vader because Annika was on his. Anyway, I didn't get it. I'm not one of these Star Wars people. So anyway, then I said, I felt the Lord give me a word of knowledge. And I said this, look, D- D- Danny, I think, I think God's saying to you that he wants to be your father. Uh, this guy's not a Christian. so Dad wants. To, God, I think God's saying he wants to be your father. And I get a sense, Danny, that you're... Your dad um, deserted you, your, your biological father abandoned you, that was the word I used, abandoned you when you were a young boy. And that's created a chasm in your life. So Danny said, are you a psychic? I said, no, that's often, when you prophesy, be prepared for people to say that, that's the only word they've got. I said, no, I'm not. And then he said, Do you know, and he told me the story, which I didn't know, of course. And he said, we grew up in York. And he said, when I was eight years of age, young boy, he said, living with my parents, my dad left to go to the shops, And he never came back. And that's the last we've seen him. We all thought he'd been killed. But the police said, this shows the signs, very sadly, of a a deliberate abandonment. Your dad wanted out of his marriage, out of being a dad. He just wanted out. And so from that day, when he was eight years of age, never seen my dad. And he said, it has produced a chasm in my life. There's not a day I do not think about my dad. He said, but my mum was great. She was there for me. We grew up with my mum. But sadly, Danny is about 22 now. He said about four years ago, he was only about 18 years of age, something like that. He said, my mom got cancer and she died. The woman who was there, the only one who was there for me, she died. And she said, I, we had the funeral in, ch- in church. And he said, and I thought to myself then, he said, I, should, I, had, a, I had a thought, I should, go and, I should go and check out this church. He said, we weren't brought up religious. We weren't brought up in any way to believe anything. And he said, I should go and check out this church. And I said, did you do it? And he said, no, I didn't know which one to go to. And I was scared. And I thought, how can I go? know all this stuff. So I then said to him, look, Danny, today, the church has come to you. And uh, I shared something of the gospel with him. And it was my privilege, again, to lead Danny to Christ. There and then in the restaurant, he gave his life to Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit of, of God. Danny, in a very dramatic way, experienced this thing of, of adoption. Adoption, to know that he is a son of God by adoption. Uh, my time is uh, over. I probably abused the time horribly. But I'm going to finish with, with this prayer, if we can flick up this prayer. And uh, when I go around preaching at, at different churches... Often there are people who um, are connecting with the church for a while. Maybe you're just checking it out uh, today. Uh, maybe someone has invited you to, to, to come to church today and you're not, reg- you're not, you're not regularly here. And I'm going to finish with a prayer. If we can just flick it up. Here it is. And it's a prayer for anyone here who might want to become a follower of Jesus. And I don't know who you are. I've not preached in this church for years. But if that's you and you want to become a true Christian, a follower of Jesus, this is a prayer That you can pray, and I'm going to invite you to do so. Let me read it first of all. It says, Heavenly Dad, that's what Abba, that's what it means, Abba. Uh, I turn from my sin, that's all the wrong stuff I've done, said, and thought, to your son, that's Jesus Christ. I receive adoption as your child, i.e., as your son or your daughter. Set me free from the fear of death. That's a great one to ask, isn't it? I forgive those who've sinned against me. And by the way, if anyone comes into your mind, just uh, say I forgive Bob or Sheila or Jane, whoever comes into your mind. I receive your forgiveness. That's the most important forgiveness that you will ever need to receive, the forgiveness of God God who created you and gave you life. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. That's his presence and his power. Help me follow you now and always in Jesus' name. And what I'm going to do is uh, I'm just going to pray this prayer now at the end and invite anyone who is not a believer, not a follower, a, a true follower of Jesus, you can pray this prayer. Make it your own uh, as your way of saying that you want to be uh, a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to receive the forgiveness of the God who created you. You want to, you want to have freedom in your life. You want to uh, have the freedom that comes from knowing God and doing what he says, um, basically. Uh, so let's just bow our heads uh, to pray. Let's bow our heads to pray. And I'm not going to ask anyone to pray out loud I'm not going to ask that, but what I am going to ask is this. It's a little bit scary, but stick with it. If anyone's going to pray this prayer with me now, I'm going to invite. I'm, I'm inviting you now. Just raise your hand, just where you are. If anyone, as, I, as I, I'm going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to pause at the end of each line, and just make it your own prayer. As I pause, just to reiterate the words in the quietness of your own heart. Make it your own prayer. But if you're going to pray this, just raise your right hand uh, where you are. I could just do that now as an indicator. Um, Great. Do it in a kind of uh, nice British, British way, not kind of half-mast in a kind of Anglican sort of English way, but that's that, that's fine. You can do that if you want. Great. Okay. Do put your hands down. So the number of, of people around the room. Put your hands down now. So number of people. So this is particularly for you. Um, you may not have raised your hand. That's fine. You don't need to do that. But uh, this is particularly for you guys who've just indicated that. So here's the pr- here's the prayer. Heavenly Dad, I turn from my sin to Your Son. I receive adoption as Your child. Set me free from the fear of death. I forgive those who have sinned against me. I receive your forgiveness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me follow you now and always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm just going to hand back to Dave now. We normally have a, a, an opportunity for people to receive prayer at the end of the service, or we're going to do that today. If that's you, if you raised your hand, I particularly encourage you to, to come forward for prayer. Tell me, or Dave, or Rob, Scott Cook, or indeed any of the leadership team, or uh, if you know who they are, if, or the person who brought you, if you were invited here. And, and I'd encourage you as well, when we do prayer ministry, you may well uh, have felt moved by various things that I've talked about. You know, you've been a Christian for years. And you think, well, I'm scared of something. Well, get, you could get prayer for that. It fee- could be the fear of flying. could be the fear of anything. could be phobias. It could be that you're not experientially walking in your identity as a son or go- daughter of God by adoption. It could be that you recognize there's healing issues. A bit like I had to work through. You've got healing issues to work through. could be anything. I would, I would just encourage you this morning. As God's word has been preached tonight, imperfectly, as it has, as, as it always does, uh, no, nonetheless, our God who is there, the God who is perfect, he can meet your need and bring wholeness and healing and empowerment uh, to you. So I just encourage you to take the opportunity uh, to receive prayer. But uh, for now, that all. Thanks very much. It's been great to hear. Thanks so much for listening, Dave. Cheers.